Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Devin Hassan and David Woolman. It is a uh, Tuesday, recording this one day later than usual. Hope everybody enjoyed their long weekend. And yes, we are back with another episode. And uh, what a week, gentlemen, because practices are underway for our 5A and 6A high schools. High school football practices have begun. Everybody right now is working out. So just uh, clearing one more pivotal hurdle in the lead up to September 24th and the actual start of the season for our 5A and 6A high schools. So as has been the case over these last couple weeks, we are previewing things in anticipation of the start of the season since the you know the 5A and 6A schools comprise about, what, 90 95% of our coverage and whatnot. So, yes, we've, um, we've come up with 20 questions that will uh, kind of define our coverage for the, uh, for the uh, upcoming season and whatnot. We have knocked out eight of those questions. We got four more. So, um, so let's, let's dive right into it. Obviously, this is, um, you know, with, with the big schools beginning practices this week, it's been um it's been a pretty uh a pretty interesting past few weeks with the small schools classes 1A through 4A with them going through all of this routine from them starting practices back in August to the actual beginning of their respective seasons on August 27th 28th and whatnot so you've had a lot of coaches around the area that have kind of just been kind of waiting anxiously just to see how this all goes you know as far as these uh, these small schools kind of being a bit of a, a bit of a guinea pig a bit of a test balloon as to how the uh, how the state's going going to initially handle playing football during a global pandemic Pandemic. So let's um, I mean, let's start obviously with a uh, with a couple questions related to the pandemic for today's episode. Um, what can the state's big schools take away from how these smaller schools have conducted their business early into the 2020 season? Um, as far as what this means for us, we've only got two schools that have been playing football so far with Salina and Sunnyvale. Um, you know, Devin, as far as kind of how um how Sunnyvale's conducted business, um, kind of what have you noticed on their end as far as kind of how they're going? about navigating all this and to the point where they've at least been able to play their first two games of the season, you know, no questions asked. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much the big schools are going to take from the small, because I think everybody, this is, you know, an unprecedented situation. So there's no blueprint for what you're supposed to do for how you're supposed to handle it. Um, and there's a big difference just in terms of day-to-day workouts, because, you know, study value, you got it. You may have 50 to 60 kids in that program out, whereas some of our 6A schools have 200, 250 kids. So it's a little bit easier. You know, I know know they've set up stations where they rotate through to to keep distancing. Um, You know, some people will be working on skills and practice where all others do conditioning and then they swap. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're working with, like, say, 150, 200, 250 kids, it's a little more difficult to do that. Um, You know, but I think think they've kind of kept an eye on on what they've done. Uh, A lot of conversations being had in terms of, I mean, everything down to the most, you know, 
smallest little detail in terms of mm-hmm. you know what time do they report and how do you, how do we organize temperature checks? Um, how long are we going to work out? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to handle that? Um, you know, on up to game day preparation. How are we going to do the buses? How are we going to do transportation? What are we? Gonna, what's our protocol? You know, before the games. So they're keeping an eye, but it's just really just kind of a trial and error thing. Yeah. I think that you know you look at you mentioned Sunnyvale and obviously Salina. Uh, they didn't exactly know the best way to go about doing things. I'm sure they. I'm sure they made a lot of changes, uh, just small changes from week one to week two. Mm-hmm. And and I think we'll see that continue to see the same thing with the bigger schools. They're just going to try to. They're going to come in with a plan, but there's going to be a lot of tweaks, a lot of changes to you know to, to I guess best the. To, do the best job they can to keep everybody safe and to abide by the by, by the uh, the rules that have, that have been laid down. It really, I think, it does help though, that you got that time over the summer as a bit of a head start to get acclimated to all this. You know, obviously, they've been you know, as far as things like wearing masks and you know social distancing. All these perimeters have been in place since June for a lot of these yeah. schools when they began strength and conditioning workouts. You know, so it's not nothing. Of, nothing should be foreign to these kids or the coaches and whatnot as far as how to conduct things during you know during practices. You know, and even you know, I think back to August and covering Salina and their second day of practice and just the you know how. Everybody's got to have that mask on unless you're actively participating in a drill. Um, just the job that the coach is doing, making sure that the kids are, you know, staying apart. You know, everybody's got to bring their own water bottles. Just yeah. these little changes that you've you're already comfortable with. It's it's no no longer is it this new normal anymore. It's just kind of the way things are for these kids. So it does help over the summer that they at least got an idea as to what this is all going to be like. And yeah, it's just about you know just about carrying it out and just being consistent, being accountable with it. Um, you know, I the thing is like and you I mean obviously we've all kind of seen how our schools are, are kind of handling this as far as attending these workouts and looking at the steps that they're all taking. And that's, you know, the part of that that I feel probably most comfortable with is just the job that the coaches have done as far as leaving no stone unturned, as far as doing everything they can to make sure that their kids follow some sort of, of structured, organized approach on how to handle this. You know, the question is obviously then what happens though after practice and throughout the other 20 hours, you know, throughout the day and whatnot, when you're not yeah. under the coach's supervision, as far as how these kids are going to handle it. Cause yeah, I mean, the coaches can only you know be uh, you know can only be have a have an eye on these kids for so long. Well, it's especially now that a lot of in school instruction has begun. You know, Garland ISD started today. Mm-hmm. Mesquite ISD goes back next week. All these school districts are starting to open campus back up, and so that's just another thing you got to think about because, like you say, they can keep an eye on them when they're just showing up at school for the workouts and for the practices. Now you're factoring in five hours of mm-hmm. changing classes, and I know they've taken a lot of steps to you know to improve the safety and just in the hallways and in the classrooms, but that's still something else that's, that's, you know, going to be in the back of their minds and, and something that hopefully won't be, you know, a, a factor that kind of sends us into another tailspin. David, had you seen anything at year, whether it was a trip through Capel, Lake, uh, Lake Dallas or the colony, anything that had jumped out to you as far as how those schools are kind of handling things? I went to the colony yesterday for okay. the first day of practice and, uh, yeah, you were busy yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was uh, pretty much on my first day tour right there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I noticed when I went to the colony is um, as soon as they just uh, finished up their uh, their uh, practice on the field, mm-hmm. they ha- had team meetings right after that. So normally they might have like a big you know, room set up for like a big team meeting, but they set aside like coach several coaches' offices. They set up some rooms that might not more normally be used for meetings, mm-hmm. and they spread out those kids into those rooms. And they had like chairs, like you know, set like one like six feet apart from each other, so they make sure they get that social distancing in there. And during, in that hallway right there, when kids are you know picking up some food and some water to drink in the hallway, um, you know, there's coaches like spread out, just like hey, make sure you wear your mask, make sure you wear your mask, stuff like that. So. They, they're, they're, not, they're making sure that no stone unturned as far as social distancing mm-hmm. is going unturned. 
So yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a very, very uh, just kind of a case by case scenario Absolutely. each week. Every every school is going to have their own different approaches to what they feels best for their kids, and that's the thing. Like it's as different as the approaches may be. I mean, obviously, it, everybody has the same interest in mind mm-hmm. and just want to do whatever they can to keep their kids safe and try to somehow navigate the season, you know, without you know having things get set back. Because I mean, at this rate, like I mean, you, you know, even you know, say what you will about the the small schools and you know the virus being less concentrated than those areas, but you've already had cases around the state where some games have had to be canceled and whatnot. So it's, listen, like it's going to happen at some point as far as, you know, you having to, having to deal with, you know, some kid on your, on your, on your team getting the virus and whatnot. You just have to be responsible on how you go about handling that. And just, again, just the sort of accountability as far as making sure that, uh, you know, that it's, it doesn't really, uh, you know, something that you know, gets widespread or impacts the team or anything, or just does anything that could put your season in jeopardy. Um, it's yeah, it's just going to be something that I uh, just, every week we're just going to be just kind of on pins and needles as far as like, okay, are you guys playing this week? And, yeah. you know, how'd you guys, you know, has everyone, you know, any, any issues come up, anybody test positive or anybody feeling sick? And it's just going to be a, a bit of a white knuckle ride, um, so to speak. If you're a coach this year, you make sure you get that old Rolodex, you know, rolling, you know, if you have to cancel a game, you know, or other team has to cancel a game, you know, just, you know, try to find whoever you can to well, on the spot right there to see what you can do to get that another game, you know, within like three or four days of, at that yeah. spot. So let's see. Um, then looking ahead now to um, our next question. You know, these last couple of weeks we have um, we've dived into the. Uh, um, you're basically um, just talking about some potential statistical leaders in our coverage area this season. You know, we started off talking quarterbacks last week. We talked running backs, and we're going to stay on offense. And obviously, around that, I was talking about some players that could potentially lead Star Local Media's coverage area in receiving this season. Always a talented crop of receivers to roll through the Metroplex every year. So, which ones in our coverage area particularly stand out as far as some who uh, might vie for the uh, the receiving title in our coverage area, um, David. Anybody that stuck to, that uh, came to mind for uh, for your coverage area? Yeah, I wrote down a few uh, players here. Um, first player that came to my mind uh, is from Marcus J. Michael Sturdivant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, last year he had 87 receptions, 1125 receiving yards, 10 TDs. Um, he's a Cal commit, um, and you know what better quarterback to throw to the ball than an LSU? Somebody he's going to LSU. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer. So, I mean, with him on one side and Dallas Dudley, I mean, they're both, you know, going to – it's not like he's going to have to be double covered every For single sure. time. So, I mean, he's going to get his fair share of, you know, yards and TDs. So, um, that's that was my top pick right there. Mm-hmm. Devin, where would you land on this? Uh, you know, I have a few. I think – especially with what's gone on through the lack of off-season workouts and stuff, uh, having a established quarterback is just such a huge advantage. Sure. Uh, I have so many of my teams that are breaking in a new starter that's basically had no time to work out with the team uh, or deal with on the varsity or what have you. So, you know, you look at uh, kind of the returning quarterbacks that are back in the fold, uh, Garrett Rangel over at Lone Star. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to replace a new number one, and a number one that just happened to rewrite the yeah. Texas high school football <laughs> record book last year. Uh, but Trace Buckler out there, you know, I mean, Marvin Mims is going to overshadow anybody he's playing with. But, you know, 54 catches, 824 yards, five scores last year. You know, they need a new number one. He's shown, you know, the potential to take mm-hmm. over that spot. And if he becomes the same kind of favorite target uh, that Marvin Mims did, he's going to put up some huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go over to Independence where they have Braylon Braxton coming back. And so you kind of sit, sit there, you look like a guy like Ezekiel McMillan who had 36 catches last year. But, again, he was kind of – that he was not the number one option. 
you know, Frisco ISD has a lot of those that kind of fall in that same boat with about 40, had 40 to 50 catches last year, but you never know how, you know, how those numbers can improve this year. You know, Thomas Donnelly over at Lebanon Trail, Evan Stewart over at Liberty, Chase Lowry over at Frisco, mm-hmm. who's the district MVP, but he plays both ways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's obviously a very highly regarded defensive back, but he also averages 23 yards of reception. So if they decide to, uh, you know, to, to get him the ball on offense, um, he may not leave the uh, area in receiving or in receptions, but receiving yards could be a possibility. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to say for some of these other teams that are breaking in new quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Zion Washington over at Reedy led the team in receiving last year. Uh, Saxe has been able to produce some really good wide receivers of late, but they have a new quarterback with Alex Orgy coming in. Uh, you know, Noah McDilly over at Sunnyvale as we dip into the lower classifications um, had a really good year last year, but they're, they've been rotating three guys in trying to get that quarterback position settled, so his number's going to reflect that. So, like I say, if I had to get early on projections, you've got to go with a guy who has an established uh, quarterback back and I think those are your early favorites. I want to add a name into there too. Um, you mentioned established quarterbacks right there. I'm going to go to Kid Capel, Anthony Black. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, dual sport athlete. I don't know how this kid is not at least a four-star recruit right there in football. <laughs> He's only like 24-7 sports only has him listed at as a three-star recruit. I mean, this guy has at least 12 offers in football right there. Mm-hmm. He's picked up a couple over the last last week or so. Um, you know, he had 859 yards and nine TDs and really only his first season at playing varsity football. Yeah. So, I mean, and now he's got his, the same quarterback from last year who was like a first-year starter last year to last year because of injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have those two, you know, with an offseason together. And, you know, just imagine what they can do this year. Um, yeah, I had Anthony Black down, too, as a, as a potential one, especially because, I mean, you look last year, I mean, he was able to put up, you know, 47 catches, 859 yards, nine touchdowns, but he essentially had two different quarterbacks throwing him the ball. It's mm-hmm. just you never knew which week who was going to be starting a quarterback yeah. for Capel. So hopefully, you know, if you get Ryan Walker from start to finish, mm-hmm. maybe you get a little bit more consistency. And, I mean, again, this kid's only a junior. He's still got yeah. the entire back half of his high school career to go, so obviously still plenty of room to grow. And, yeah, it does feel like his profile is just growing more and more each week in both football and basketball. I think another thing that's going to help him, too, is they uh, had a move in. Uh, K.J. Liggins, like, he played. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he played for them as a freshman. But, you know, he's got five Division One offers. Oh, yeah. So it's not like they're going to be double-teaming Black every single play. Sure. So, I mean, Black's going to get his yards this year. You know, you've talked about just uh, kind of having a st- an established presence behind center and just, you know, the, the benefit of having a receiver, you know, elsewhere that could potentially, you know, lure the, uh, you know, the secondary away from keying in on you. That's why I'm anxious to see what kind of year we get over at McKinney North from J.J. Henry. Um, if you were remember last year McKinney North it was the just the most prolific offense that that school district has ever had behind Dylan Markowitz and just that uh, I mean just they were averaging it felt like you know like 600 yards a week 50 points I mean they were just it was just an absolute machine um JJ Henry is really the lone holdover as far as skill position talent goes um I mean they're breaking in a brand new quarterback this season Markowitz has moved on to Syracuse you know so they've got Hayden Richardson and Gavin Constantine battling in that to see who's going to be the quarterback um they've got a new running back I'll be at one that still had you know experience as a backup last year in Jaden Smith. And I mean, McKinney North's track record certainly lends itself to some credibility when it comes to just next man up. They just have an absolute assembly line of talent at the running back position. You know, you've got Henry, who last year was, I mean, obviously everybody was just playing catch up to Marvin Mims at the 5A level. Um, you know, but, you know, as far as our specific coverage area goes, Henry was actually the second highest receiving leader. He had 71 catches for almost 1,400 yards and 16 touchdowns. I mean, those numbers, most, most years, those numbers lead the Metroplex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're not, when the other receiver isn't off setting records and whatnot. But again, everything is new around him. You have new, I mean, you know, no more Brandon Frazier. Obviously, well, they're actually going to move his younger brother, Dylan Frazier, over to play tight end this year. 
But, um, you know, the other receivers on the outside are all inexperienced. Um, like I said, you've got a new tight end. You've got a new offensive coordinator. Kyle Harden, you know, is now the head coach over at Crandall. They promoted Kendall Brewer um, to be their OC. So it's, I mean, so much is going to be new. I mean, Henry is still, I mean, an absolute just, I mean, he's got a, uh, I don't know if the recruiting profile in front of me, but I mean, I saw just an absolute just laundry list of just power five conference offers rolling in for him over the offseason. I mean, he's got a lot of schools that are after him and probably pound for pound, maybe the most talented receiver that we have in our coverage area. But, I mean, yeah, if the, you know, so much of it relies on those other pieces around him, you know, kind of meshing and being able to just deter, you know, the opposing, uh, the opposing defense from just keying in on him and just trying to, again, just seeing double team after double team. Because that's one thing that you, you couldn't double team them last season because there was always somebody, you know, within their, uh, I mean, they had like four, you know, their top four receivers all had like six or 700 yards receiving or something silly like that. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a different, the, you know, the deck's been reshuffled a bit. But, um, but yes, obviously J.J. Henry very much at the front of mind when it comes to potentially leading our coverage area um, in receiving yardage. All right, let's move on then to our third question. This one is going to look at some uh, some first-year head coaches, obviously um, all sorts of coaching turnover in the offseason, as is the case every year. So um, with um, which new coaches are positioned to make an immediate impact? And it's been um, obviously making that impact and getting your team up to speed has been a little bit you know, trickier than usual, given the nature of the pandemic and not getting a chance to, you know, have your go through spring workouts, having to do all your installations virtually and whatnot. So um, I don't know, Devin, where did you, I mean, was there anybody that kind of sprung to mind for you on this one? Well, I didn't have a lot of coaching turnover uh, in, in my area, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, you know, there's been years where I've had several new head coaches. I mean, the only one notable was over at West Mesquite with uh, Frank Sandoval taking over. Um, and, and it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, to, to have an immediate turnaround. West Mesquite has kind of been in a little bit of a down cycle just from a talent perspective. Yeah. I mean, they went through a nice run where they had a lot of really good players that would go on to play uh, college ball. But um, they have some experience on defense, which will help them early on. But trying to bring in a, a new offense and implement that, like we, we you just mentioned, you know, it's tough any time with no offseason, but especially for a first-year head coach, and especially the fact that, you know, they're breaking in a lot of new starters on offense mm-hmm. who um, – haven't had a chance to, 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 to work out together. And, and again, and part of it too is, is their district. I mean, if they, if realignment would have done them a, a nice favor and put them in a little bit more of a, of an easier group, um, then you you might be able to say, Hey, this is a team that could turn things around by the time district plays go and they could be a playoff contender. But when you're lining up with Longview and Highland park and yeah. Tyler and the aforementioned McKinney North and Sherman, it's just really hard to see um, based on what they've been able to do the last couple of years, them getting right back in. But again, that's, that's the, that's the thing with uh, someone like coach Sandoval is you got to give them time and, you know, get, get the players, get those younger kids into the program. Um, so I, I think, you know, West Mesquite, uh, give it a couple of years. But uh, if they were to do it this year, it would certainly be a, be a big surprise. I know, David, you didn't have any coaching turnover at your three high schools. But was there anyone that jumped to mind for this? Um, outside of my coverage area, there's uh, – I actually wrote down three coaches right here. Okay. Um, but the one that stuck out to the most in my mind is um, over at Lovejoy, Chris Ross. Yes, that's a good one. Um, you know, he's he's been like every position, you know – coach possible mm-hmm. you know he's been head coach he's been offensive coordinator defensive coordinator uh, he worked at boise state for two years as well too mm-hmm. um and also it seems like wherever he goes you know it, the team just turns around instantly um you know whenever he took over at red oak you know they hadn't been to the third round of the playoffs since 2012 mm-hmm. but within like the first couple of years he had them like last year they won 11 and 2 and yep. the, uh, they lost in the playoffs to, to state champion Lido. 
So no I mean, shame in that. No, uh, no shame in that. Yeah. No, no. Uh, you did good if you made it that far right there in the Absolutely. playoffs. Um, so I think he can turn them around in a hurry. Um, and obviously Lovejoy, you know, they've, they've had some success under Todd Ford, who's now at Plano. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that that's a group that's really, you know, eager to, you know, build on what they've done under Coach Ford right there. You know, they have that playoff pedigree right there. For sure. And um, I think, you know, Coach Ross is just going to continue what they've done over there. And plus, it's uh, their district is uh, kind of a little bit wide open right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think Frisco is obviously the favorite in that district For right sure. there. But um, you know, the other teams, you know, it's it's pretty wide open. So whatever team shows up, you know, on, the, on a given Friday is going to win in this district right here. Mm. Um, so I think Lovejoy is going to have any much a chance to compete with anybody. Yeah, I mean, you look when Ross took over Red Oak, they were two and eight in 2017, and then in his he was only there for two seasons, yeah. but they had a record of 20 and four. And yeah, yeah obviously qualified a, for the playoffs both seasons. Their first year. Yeah, Lovejoy's got thirteen returning starters, half of whom made the all district team. You got Ralph Rucker, Reed Westervelt, Luke Mayfield, just a loaded offense. Um some talent on the in the secondary with Chief Collins, Adam Eschler. I mean it's I mean Lovejoy traditionally does fairly well in that front. So I mean you give you know, you give a coach like, you know, Chris Ross that kind of talent to just start from and yeah, I mean it's a district that certainly would, would suggest that they might be able to have a little bit more success than usual for these coaches that are having to make this transition during a time when there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, you know, having to kind of think outside the box versus how coaches traditionally make this, uh, you know, make this move. I mean, I mean, just you look at the situation over at Plano and just what a, uh, I mean, just what a circus that whole situation was with, with Cody Moore initially getting hired as the, uh, as the team's head coach and then backing out the day after being approved by the school board. And then, as you mentioned, Todd Ford, you know, he was hired then just a few weeks later. And, you know, the big, the biggest concern I had for Plano was just like, when you, when you look at that offense that they run, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, with, with Plano, Plano, it's just always been such a uh, such a ground and pound, such a rugged, you know, dating back to the Tom Kimbrough days back in the 80s. And now you're bringing dodgeball into the mix with, uh, you know, with Todd Ford and then some of his coaches, you know, a lot of Todd Dodge disciples. So it's going to be a far more wide out, you know, fast paced offense, you know, versus what Plano has been accustomed to. So how much time would it take to get your kids acclimated to that? As far as the installation process goes, at least, I mean, it does sound like, you know, and this is not just with Plano, but a lot of the coaches in the area that I've talked to, like, just they feel like the. Um, the time they got in August, that the the the, uh, the skill, the sports specific skill training, that portion that the UIL afforded them just a couple hours a day, that that really did do um, something as far as making up for that time that they lost out on in the fall. Now, obviously, there's no way to approximate the um, the contact aspect of it until this week. You know, at the end of the week, when you go through that five day acclimation period, and you can finally put on your pads and whatnot. But as far as you know, just getting the uh, a brand new system installed, both offensively and defensively, um, I mean, it sounds like at least in Plano's case that you know for coach Ford who's you know who's been I mean he opened up Cedar Ridge you know then he made the move to Lovejoy and that they're further ahead now than they have been at those previous stops just because of that extra time that they were afforded so that does at least give me a little bit of pause as far as thinking like okay well maybe they might not be set back too much now obviously that's still a really really tough district so by no means is it guaranteed that you're going to be right back in the playoffs because Louisville ISD and Capel are all really freaking good and Plano East and Plano West should both be improved this season as well. Um, but I think that there's some opportunity there for Plano to potentially make some noise in Coach Ford's first year. I'm also curious to see how Rock Hill does the brand new uh, the brand new school over at Prosper ISD because you know there are I mean it's a first year varsity program but it's not your typical first year varsity program because you know whereas most of these schools you look at like the two ones that just opened up in Frisco ISD over the last few years with Memorial and Lebanon Trail. 
And they started out with just underclassmen. So you had these sophomores lining up against high school seniors, and you're already outmatched from a physical standpoint. Rock Hill has a full 9 through 12 class right out of the chute. You know, they've got 28 seniors on their football team this first year. Um, you know, the numbers, I mean, close to 200 kids already in the program. So they're a little bit further ahead just from a physical development standpoint than a lot of these, you know, first-year programs might be. And then just you factor in just the uh, the Mark Humble track record. You know, their head coach, I mean, a, a long time, you know, just offense one of the most innovative offensive minds in the area. You know, you look at his, obviously his work in recent years with Lone Star and just those high-flying offenses. He's been at South Lake Carroll, Plano East, among other places. I mean, I remember covering, you know, when he was under uh, on Johnny Ringo's staff at Plano East. I mean, that offense looked like, it looked like a Madden offense at times with just the creativity that would sometimes go into it. Just looked like a fun offense to be a part of. So, um, yeah, and I just, I don't know, I, I think that there might be a chance that, you know, for them to maybe outperform what you expect normally from a first-year varsity program. Um, so, yeah, just a few a uh, few first year head coaches in our coverage area that might that might exceed expectations out of the uh, out of the shoot. Um, all right, so then let's uh, let's close this out with our last question, and that is um, another question. You know, sort of pandemic related, um, as far as kind of just the uh, just the atmosphere of high school football games. Um, you know, how much how much will high school football's atmosphere be impacted by the pandemic related restrictions? Whether you're talking just the crowd, the band, the drill team, just all the bells and whistles that accompany one of the most unique atmospheres in um, in high school sports. Um, what do we kind of envision? when things get going in late September for these larger schools. Uh, Devin, anything that springs to mind there as far as kind of how the atmosphere could be impacted by the restrictions in place? I mean, it's certainly going to have an impact. Yeah. I mean, just it's it's been bizarre watching, you know, just the, the bubble professional leagues and, and just piping in the fan noise and everything else. But that's what makes Texas high school football unique for is sure. the fact that you have these big bands and these big drill teams and just, you know, everything that goes along with it. Um you know, we've seen them, uh, you know, just kind of around the state, what they've done. Some have, some have elected to not even take the band. You know, mm-hmm. Sunnyvale, their first week, didn't take the band. Uh, you saw some colleges this year uh, or this past weekend that had their band and their uh, cheerleaders in the end zones mm-hmm. separated. And they were didn't they didn't perform during halftime. They were performing after the game if you wanted to stay and watch okay. them. Um, I do like what I've seen. Some places, we've seen some other places that weren't quite practicing these social distancing measures very, very strictly. But, we'll you know, some places, some places had, you know, they sent out pictures beforehand of, of seats that were blocked off and rows that mm-hmm. were blocked. And so people knew exactly where to sit and they had it all laid out. Um, I think that's kind of what you're going to see a lot of um, when we get rolling here with these bigger programs. Uh, but it's going to be tough because, I, I mean, it's, I think like we talked about before, just as with the kids and the conditioning and how they're handling it, this is going to be a week-by-week thing that's mm-hmm. probably going to see a lot of changes. Um, I do think it's important that they try to incorporate it and, and have those have those other groups out there. Um, you know, these we, we talk about how hard these, these players work year-round, how hard these coaches work year-round. You know, people may not – uh, pay too much attention unless their kid is in it. But, you know, these drill teams and these bands, I mean, I drive by high schools, you know, here for the last three weeks, and these bands are out there at 7 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. or they're out there at 5 o'clock in the evening oh, yeah. working, getting ready, you know, sweating, doing all their stuff. I know the drill teams, are do, you know, do their camps and the cheerleaders do their things. So, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into this too, and their main place to shine is on Friday nights because that's when they have the biggest audience. That's when they have, you know, the most eyeballs on them. And, you know, it would be a shame if they were just completely denied the opportunity, mm-hmm. plus what they add just to the to the atmosphere of the games. 
Um, let's see. For me, like I've actually, so I've actually been to a game. You know, I actually got yeah. to cover Salina season opener against Melissa. So I was actually, I mean, I got to see kind of what the atmosphere, you know, would look like firsthand. And yeah, I mean, as the UIL rules stipulate, it's only fifty percent capacity as far as the stands go. And yes, um, you know, in the stands they had every other row marked off. Um, now, to the extent that that was actually followed, <laughs> you know, so uh, from a media standpoint, so I mean, I got a feeling that uh, we're probably going to be sitting in the press box too often this year. You know, at least for the uh, at least for that game at Salina, you know, I was in the uh, in the stands, you know, sitting at midfield and whatnot. And but you just kind of see like so you got the you know the row in front of me and behind me are marked off. Well, then you know you get kind of early in the second quarter, and then some students start funneling into those rows. And you know, I took a uh, at halftime, I went down just took a uh, just took a picture of just the crowd just to get a kind of get get a gauge of just what the uh, what the crowd looked like. And you can kind of see there in the bottom of the photo, there's a cluster of like a student section where it's just everybody is just nut to butt and just like a typical student section would be. But yeah, obviously not a not a whole lot of social distancing being practiced as far as the masks. I mean, you know, you're obviously you had to wear one in order to get in. But as far as then how many people actually kept wearing them throughout the duration of the game, um, that again was not probably followed to the degree that I'm sure Solana would have uh, would have liked. And um, and that was kind of one of the uh, the prevailing takeaways from that first week is you know you had these videos surfacing on uh, on social media of um of fans and just i mean just the the look in the crowd of just like again like nobody wearing their masks again all these people just clustered together to the point where you know you had to have the uil reach out and like hey guys get it together otherwise you know we're gonna have to step in and shut the stuff down and i mean so there is gonna have to be because i'm just like when i see that firsthand and i'm just like okay so we got kids that are behind it you know behind us and in the front of us and whatnot like well who's gonna police this stuff you know there's not like i mean the you know the, the you know the the employee there or whatever that's getting paid whatever just to stand there and help people find their seats or whatnot. I mean, they're not going to go in there and just scream to people to, you know, to separate and whatnot. It just has to be that, uh, you know, people have to hold themselves accountable and whatnot and just have to, you know, try to get through this together and whatnot and just realize that, yeah, I mean, it's, the pandemic didn't just sneak up on us. You know, we've been doing all this stuff now for like six months. So whereas there are some parts of it that are certainly a beating and whatnot, but that's just the sacrifice that you have to make in order to get through this. And it just, it's, it doesn't only apply to the players and the coaches and whatnot. It applies to the people in the stands just because, yeah, you have to be, you're, I mean, you're taking a big chance going to these games during a global pandemic. So yes, you probably would like to do so knowing that you're going to be, that you should feel safe there. And, um, and David, I, uh, I know that you obviously wrote a column about this last week yeah. and whatnot. So, uh, I mean, yeah, just kind of where do you uh, weigh in on the subject as far as kind of how you feel like the atmosphere might be influenced by the uh, the conditions that are in place? Well, just uh, feeding off what you're saying about the social distancing mm -hmm. and the crowds, um, I think if a student section wants to go to a game, I think they need to go online and they need to look at Army student section. I don't know if you okay. saw that from no, last. I didn't. Yeah, like all of them are socially distant. Like Army's, uh, they showed it was a nationally televised game. Mm -hmm. All of like the cadets, you know, they were spaced out. Every single one of them I saw had their masks on. And obviously, when you go to like a military school, you teach discipline over there. Absolutely. So, and I think they understand the rules there. So, I think you know what, guys, it's a privilege that you get to be able to go to these games. So let's not abuse it at all. Let's mm -hmm. not ruin it for the athletes. Not let's not ruin for the coaches let's not ruin for the drill team the band members i mean those are the ones of people who have scholarships and college scholarships on the line right there mm -hmm. so um let's not let's not take that for granted right there yeah. 
as far as just how the actual atmosphere itself felt, so um, at the Salina Melissa game, and again, I, I have a feeling that every every game is like you said, Devin. Every game is going to be different. Every school district is going to handle this differently. You know, but both teams had their bands there. Both teams had their uh, their drill team, cheerleaders, and all that jazz. It didn't honestly feel that different though from a typical game once you got kicked off. Now, obviously, that was my first time covering a game at Salina, so with the crowd only being you know half full. Now I don't know how that compares to a you know a typical Friday night, especially in a town that's as football crazed as, as Salina is. But as far as just the actual feel for it, and you know, Coach Elliott afterwards when talking to him, I mean, he kind of felt like it was you know it felt you know pretty similar to a typical football game, and uh, you know kind of noticed even the same thing just in the other you know like in, in volleyball and whatnot. And obviously, you know, with volleyball still going on right now for those small schools as well, um, you know, they've they've had to make their own adjustments and whatnot as far as it you know playing games and whatnot and social distancing and all that. And they're not like going by and like shaking hands before and after yeah. games. Like I think in the in the game I saw with Salina, like they were both standing at both teams were standing at the attack lines, took a step forward and just waved to each other <laughs> before yeah. playing yep. the game. So, yeah. I mean, everybody's having to make their own sort of concessions and adjustments and whatnot and sacrifices. So, yeah, I mean, the best thing that we can do is just acknowledge the the hard work that all of these, you know, all of these programs have put into just trying to get to this point without having any of this stuff crop up. And yeah, let's not, uh, let's not be selfish it, and do it, anything to get in the way of that. And I think early on in terms of a, a crowd capacity, it's not going to be a huge, as big of a deal as it, as it is in these smaller towns yeah. where they have smaller stadiums. For sure. Because, I mean, you know, once the playoffs roll around, that's a different animal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look around, you know, Mesquite Memorial, for instance, holds 20,000 people. So 50% capacity, they're not, they usually don't get 10,000 unless it's a big rivalry game or mm-hmm. whatnot, Mesquite, North Mesquite, and the like. You know, the Garland stadiums hold 10 to 12. You know, I, you know most, most of our stadiums at the 5As and 6As, mm-hmm. they hold, their capacity is pretty solid in terms of, you're not going to be turning a lot of people away, yeah. I don't think, early on anyway. And there's a lot of people who are going to stay away just because they're still being very cautious mm-hmm. and, and playing it safe. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it progresses, and especially once we get around to the, the playoffs where, yeah. where you know, Texas high school football has a reputation of just blowing people's minds around the country with the number of people that show up for these games. Outdrawing um, college bowl games every yeah, year and yeah. stuff, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to feel sorry for some of these Allen fans for not being able to go to some of these games right here. Yeah, I, I, it's, with the distancing, too. You know, yeah. they're, they're having to, to – they distance them on the buses as well. Yeah. So exactly how many buses is it going to take for the Allen Band to get someplace? I'm, because yeah. if you're if you're only going to cap the, the number of yeah. people that can be on a bus, it could take them three hours to get across town. <laughs> the third week of the season is Allen's first road game, and they're at Cedar Hill. And I've got that one circled. Obviously, it's a huge game. Yeah. But naturally, I am very curious to see what the Allen Road atmosphere looks like as far as, yeah, how much of the band they bring along and whatnot. Should be uh, very interesting. But, um, yes, it, um, it all gets going um, in just a little over two weeks with the start of the regular season for our Class 5A and 6A high schools. Um, so, yes, with that, um, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. We are, uh, I guess we've passed the halfway mark in our in our five-part season preview, so we've got eight more questions on the docket. We will hit those in the coming weeks. So, um, yeah, folks, until then, take care. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. 
But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.